What is the chief end of man? That's the question. What's the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, you may not like the language of that. Um, it was written in 1646. Um, my daughter was wondering why it didn't mention women. Well, in their way of speaking, it did include women as well. The Westminster Catechism tells us that glorifying God is the central purpose and activity of every Christian, male or female. I'm glad you came here this morning. You sort of demonstrated that you understand this. Each Sunday we gather together. At the door we pick up the order of worship, the bulletin. We speak, we listen, we sing songs in honor of God, to God, together. Our worship continues when we leave the doors of the sanctuary. During the hours and days that follow, we honor God in our work and our leisure. Our worship extends throughout the week, whether we are visiting someone at the hospital or simply picking up some trash we see downtown. But if worship can be so specific as to describe the hour we spend together on Sunday morning and so broad to include these other activities during the week, you might think that definition is kind of broad, kind of ambiguous. What does worship really entail? Well, this morning I'd like to add a little bit more definition to the term, a little bit more substance to that word worship. And I'll be doing that using today's Bible lesson, um, the story of the wise men, the magi. They help provide a good picture of worship and give us some facets to explore. Their story, I think, reveals at least, at least three elements of worship. Now, first of all, worship is portrayed as costly. Worship is portrayed as costly. This might come as a bit of a surprise. When we speak of worship, when we hear others talk of worship, we hear words about its benefits, what we take away from it. At its best, good worship should delight, inspire, and move. But fundamental to worship, beyond what we receive from it, worship is about self-giving. I mean, just consider that journey of the wise men. They gave up the comforts of home and family to make a long and distant journey. They would travel by foot or maybe on camel. There were no Learjets and no highways for limousines. They would sleep in cold nights and journey during hot days. They would face dust and wind and possibly even snow. I find it rather interesting that when they make that last leg from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, no one followed after them. No one joined with them. It seemed that for the local priests and scribes, those last nine miles were just too far. Worship is not always easy. I mean, simply getting out here on a Sunday can be a real challenge. 
Um, you, you notice some days we have lots of kids, some days we have just a few. Why is that? There's lots of challenges in life. There are the challenges of icy roads and snowy streets. There is a temptation to turn the wheel towards Costco or Starbucks or maybe today simply cleaning up the Christmas tree, the decorations, throwing out all that food that you shouldn't have been eating anyways. But even when we get here, and that's it's a long journey too on this place, sometimes our time together doesn't seem quite worth it. You may have brought your gifts expecting the wonders of a palace, but like the wise men, you end up in just a modest home. Now, what I'm saying isn't meant to discourage you, but to give you hope. I mean, have you ever felt frustrated because you thought something was going to be easy and it ended up taking twice the effort and four times the time? And so you ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? Well, if you found the journey a little hard this morning, don't think that there is something wrong with you. Worship is costly and requires great effort, more effort for some than others. It costs you whether you're coming to the Sunday service or offering yourself during the week. Jesus said to his followers, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for for me will find it. The wise men teach us that worship is costly, and they also teach us that worship is properly focused on Christ. Now, some churches you may walk into and and never hear uh, the word Jesus mentioned. It's true. There's a big focus in some churches on God the Father. Others would think even more sort of broadly and talk about God in philosophical terms like the creator or the first cause, the source of energy that holds the world together. It's interesting that the wise men, they have a more particular focus. While they could have stayed at home and contemplated the creator, they saddle up their camels in search of the king of Jews. They study the signs that they see in the heavens. They consider the direction they find in Scripture. And when they find that child they were desperately searching for, they kneel down and pay him homage. They worship him. The particularity of Christ is sometimes a scandal for us. Some of us brace when prayers are made in a broad gathering, worrying that using Jesus' name will offend people who follow other faith traditions. But while retreating to a focus on universals may appear to be unifying, it denies both who we are and how God has been revealed to us. A former colleague once told me about an interfaith gathering he attended. Sometime during the meeting, a Protestant minister led the group in prayer. The prayer was a poetic address to a generic, nondescript God. After the Amen... A rabbi sitting next to my colleague leaned in and asked, Do you have any idea who she was speaking to? The particularity of Jesus may seem scandalous, yet I think it is also a reason for celebration. 
our God is not simply a force or energy that animates the universe. The God we worship has become incarnate in Jesus. God knows what it means to be human. Jesus understands our struggles and shares our joys. Worship is costly. Worship is centered on Christ. And worship is meant to be joyful. Joyful. Even for Presbyterians. I mean, we don't always experience this, do we? Of course, a lot of it depends on our orientation towards worship. For some of us, it's a duty. It's something we perform as an obligation, part of a well-ordered life. It's like paying our taxes and make sure, making sure that our yard is neat and tidy. Now, I don't want to disparage duty too much. It it has its part in worship. The wise men were foreign emissaries who were conscious of protocol. They knew that it was good and right to honor this king. And yet duty can turn sour. It can be performed begrudgingly. It can become lifeless and dull. But this is not this is not what we see in our story. When the wise men arrive in Judea, they lose sight of that star, and so they inquire with Herod, who in turn consults with Scripture. He directs them to Bethlehem, a land that the prophets spoke of. As they return to their journey, the star suddenly reappears, stopping over the location of the child. And the wise men, we are told, are overjoyed. In the words, words of the revised version, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When they arrive at the house and see Jesus and Mary, they throw themselves at his feet and they worship him. Now, some of us can speak of moments when we have rejoiced exceedingly. But many of us find ourselves often underwhelmed. Now, I can say this not because just because I watch you each Sunday, but because every once in a while I get to go to church myself and sit in the pews. It's hard not to notice how the one hymn was too high, you had to strain for it, the other song dragged on, how the sermon had all these contradictions, and the preacher just sort of lacked enthusiasm. How barely anyone bothered to say hi except one over-caffeinated designated greeter who's just, just got too close. Worship doesn't always seem like an encounter, let alone one filled with joy. And yet when we abandon the chair of the critic, when we decide that we want to open ourselves and participate in it to give ourselves away, we find that God is waiting to meet us. Through the cracks and the cadence, the poor grammar and poor analogies, something happens. We are given a glimpse of Christ. This fresh encounter with God produces incredible joy. It animates our living. It lifts our spirits. Maybe that's why 
some of us keep coming back. Maybe that's why some of us are here, are here searching. It's what I think these wise men are here to reveal. Worship is costly. Worship is centered on Christ. Worship produces profound joy. Well, may 2020 be a year of worship. And may we all rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Amen.